Sam, thank you for an incredible tribute to the moms this weekend. We want to say happy Mother's Day to you. Thank you for just carving out a little bit of time uh, to worship with us this weekend. Uh, it was Abraham Lincoln that said, no man is poor who had a godly mom. And I tell you what, by, by that definition, I'm a very wealthy man this weekend. And maybe that describes many of you that are watching. You had a phenomenal mom. Make sure you honor her, set aside some time for her, and, and let her know just how much you appreciate, just how much you love her. Now, if you're watching for the first time here at Hope, we're in a series uh, that we're calling 10. We're actually in the eighth week. And in this series, it's based on the Ten Commandments. We're learning that God didn't give us these rules just so we would have a lot of things to do, a lot of things that, you know, not to do, a lot of rules to obey and all these. No, it's not about that. Although as part of it, God wants us to obey these Ten Commandments. But we're learning behind each one of these commandments, there's actually a relationship principle that can take us deeper in our relationship with God, deeper in our relationship with one another. By the way, I've had a few of you ask me over the last few weeks since we've been in this series, you're like, Mike, I'm a little surprised. Uh, we started this series, then the pandemic hit, and uh, I thought that maybe you would switch gears a little bit and remind us of how good God is and how loving God is and how faithful God is, and he certainly is all of those things. And I understand that question because, see, a pandemic like this, it always raises the question that eventually comes back to the surface, and the question is this, where is God in all this chaos? Or how could God just sit back and allow all this to happen. So I wanna let you know, as soon as we finish this series in just a couple of weeks, we're gonna be starting a brand new series that we're calling Lessons from a Quarantine. And I'm gonna kick off that series the first week by addressing the question, if God is so good, if he's so loving and merciful and kind, why is there so much pain? Why is there so much suffering in the world? And we're gonna get a very, very accurate theological perspective on why that happens. But the reality is, that's really the wrong question. The question we should be asking ourselves when we go through something like this is, who is God? Who is this God that we're really dealing with? And you can see this all the way through the Bible. If you go back to the story of the flood, I guarantee you those people were thinking, who is this God that we're dealing with? Uh, when you see in the story of Sodom and Gomorrah, when God destroyed the city, the people had to be thinking, who is this God that we're dealing with? When Elijah called down fire from heaven and when he slew all the prophets of Baal, you, you know the people were thinking, who is this God that we're dealing with? We even see this in the story of the Exodus. We sit with the Pharaoh. By the time that 10th plague was over and he was ready for the Hebrew people to get out of Egypt, he was thinking, who is this God that I am dealing with? And it's important because we have a tendency to create our image of God in our mind, but it doesn't always line up with the God that's presented to us in the Bible. And that's why I'm so excited we've hung in here with this series because we are learning in this series that God is indeed a loving God. He is a kind God. He is gentle. He is faithful. He is a God of mercy. But we're also learning at the same time that God has certain expectations of us. And when we disobey him or we color outside the lines, God wants us to understand there are going to be consequences. It's going to hurt our relationship uh, with him, it's going to hurt the relationship with the people that he's placed in our lives. But you know what? That doesn't change the fact that God is still loving, that he's still kind, that he's still gentle, that he's still faithful, that he's still a merciful God. And it, it, we're, we're really going to see that this week as we look at this next commandment. The commandment is found in Exodus chapter 20, verse 15. It only has four words. It says, you shall not steal. And over the next few minutes, we're going to discover that the relationship principle behind this commandment is the principle of gratitude. Because, see, the only reason we would ever steal is because we're not grateful for what God has given us. We're not grateful for the life that God has chosen 
for each one of us. And it's really interesting, the backdrop of this commandment is really pretty relevant to the story. If you remember the story of the Exodus, the Hebrew people, the children of Israel, they have spent 430 years as slaves in Egypt. Think about that, 430 years. We are talking about generational poverty. These people had never known what it was like to buy a house, to have a bank account, to have a 401k, to have a retirement fund. They knew nothing of those kinds of things. They knew nothing of what it was like to go on vacation. 430 years of slavery. And so finally God says, that's enough. He raises up Moses to be the deliverer. And then the Exodus takes place. By the way, historians tell us that when Moses led the Hebrew people out of Egypt, there were probably two to two and a half million people that he was leading. And they leave and they're making their way to the promised land that God said, I am going to give you. Now we know uh, as they were making their way, there was some disobedience. And so they, had, they, they got sidetracked for about 40 years. So not only were they slaves for 430 years, then they wandered in the desert for another 40 years. From now, 470 years, these people have had nothing. But they finally get to the promised land. They're poor. They don't have a thing to their name. Now, you may remember that God says, I'm going to give you the land, but you're going to have to do the work. You're going to have to drive out the inhabitants of the land, and then you're going to take over the land. And sure enough, God led them, and we have the stories like the city of Ai and the city of Jericho. Great stories as they ran out the inhabitants of the land, and they settled in the land. But this is what's interesting. When the people finally settled in the land, they moved into houses that they didn't have to build. They benefited from gardens and vineyards that they didn't have to cultivate. They didn't have to plant. But here's the problem. God knew that because of this, some of them were actually going to be living in nicer houses than others. Some of them would actually be benefiting from gardens and vineyards that were nicer and producing more than others. And God knew that once they settled in the promised land, they were going to get all this free stuff. And he knew that the problem was going to be some weren't going to be happy because things weren't going to be equitable. And God knew that for the very first time, because understand, they had never had anything before. God knew for the very first time they were going to face a brand new temptation. And the temptation was going to be to even things out. So God says, you got to understand, you are not allowed to steal each other's stuff. And I think it's because God wants these people to learn to be grateful for what he has given to each one of them. Now, I know what some of you are thinking right now. You're thinking, great story, Mike. I even watched the movie. But there's no way under any circumstance that I'm actually going to steal from someone. And I think we think that way because we've kind of convinced ourselves that there are actually degrees of stealing. It's kind of like we believe that God kind of grades on a, a scale of one to 10. For example, taking a grape from the produce section at Whole Foods, that, that may be a one, right? Uh, stealing a pack of gum from the gas station, that might be a three. Stealing somebody's bicycle, that may be a, uh, a five. Holding up a convenience store, that might be an eight. A bank heist, that, that, that might be the 10th, right? But here's the reality behind it. God doesn't care if it's a grape heist or God doesn't care if it's a bank heist, it's stealing. And when it comes to breaking this eighth commandment, I gotta be honest with you, we can get pretty creative. So let me give you just some different definitions of stealing that maybe you haven't thought about before. Here's the first one. Anytime you improve your situation by taking someone else's stuff, you're stealing. In fact, I made a list. When you call in sick, but you're not really sick, just so you know, you're actually stealing a day's wage that you're not entitled to. Uh, when you pad your expense account, or maybe you run personal items on company time, 
you're stealing. When you make personal phone calls, surf the internet, update your Facebook profile, play a game of solitaire. When you're supposed to be working, you're stealing. But it can be worse than that. When you withhold child support or maybe alimony that you've been required to pay, you're stealing. When you don't claim all of your income because you're not happy with how the government spends your tax dollars, you need to understand you're stealing. But my point is very simple. Anytime you try to improve your situation by taking somebody else's stuff, you're stealing it. But you know what? It gets more complicated than that. Let me give you another definition. Anytime you deceive someone for personal gain, you're stealing. See, this would be the insurance salesman who comes to your house and tries to sell you this life, impo- life insurance policy. He convinces you you need, but deep down inside, he knows you don't really need it. This is the dermatologist who sees every freckle as potential cancer, and it has to be removed. It's like ka-ching, 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 right? This is the air condition repairman who lets you know that there's no way he would try to go through another North Carolina summer with this air conditioning system, and he tries to sell you a brand new system when you don't really need that system. This would be the realtor who sees the cracks in the ceilings and the cracks in the wall and tells you this has absolutely nothing to do with the foundation when it probably has everything to do with the foundation. And so those are two definitions, and you may be feeling pretty good about yourself right now because you're thinking, I don't do any of those things, so let me go ahead and give you the third one. When you take what belongs to God, you're stealing. And some of you are thinking right now, I... I knew I shouldn't have used my minor money and and gone to Burger King, but I'm not really thinking about that. I'm thinking more in terms of what the Bible has to say about this concept, this idea of tithing. Now, if you're new to church or or you're watching for the first time, uh, this word tithe, it literally means a tenth. And by the way, anytime you see the number 10 in the Bible, it's a test. For example, there were 10 virgins, 10 lepers, there were 10 commandments, there were 10 plagues. Each time, this is about a test. And so when it comes to the topic of tithing, all God is doing is he's testing us. In other words, every time we get paid, every time we receive an unemployment check or a stimulus check, this is the test. Are we going to take 10% of that and give it back to God, or are we going to steal it and keep it and spend it on ourselves? Understand, that's the test. Now, The Israelites, they had become pretty uh, shrewd as they were following God. And it didn't take long for them to figure out how they could cheat God out of what was rightly his. They, just like us, they could find loopholes. And so God asked them a question in Malachi chapter 3, verse 8. He says this, will a mere mortal rob God? Now, this is what we think. Nobody in their right mind would do that. Nobody would rob from God. Obviously, he's omniscient. He knows everything. He would know that you were robbing from him. But this is what it says. Will a mere mortal rob God, yet you rob me? You ask, how are we robbing you? And God answers, in your tithes, that's the 10%, and offerings. Now, before you decide that I'm just another one of those pastors uh, who's trying to separate you from your money, let me just share something with you. Maybe you've never attended a live service at Hope Community Church. We are 26 years old as a congregation. We have never, ever passed an offering plate. And the reason is we don't want you to have that awkward moment when you see it coming, that the guilt's there, the peer pressure's there, that you've got to do something that you really don't want to do. So we don't do that. We give our people an opportunity to give in other ways if they choose to be generous. But this is what I want you to understand. This is an important principle because when you do choose to be generous, you're actually allowing God to make a difference in the world. 
For example, you may not know this, but we have a campus down in Port-au-Prince, Haiti, our Agape campus, and we just found out that they need 65,000 masks so that they can begin to branch out and get back to normal there. But because of your generosity over the last few weeks, we actually have the money to send them that money so they can get those masks. It's what allowed us a few years ago when we discovered that a little country in Africa, the Central African Republic, uh, the poorest country in the world, uh, the annual household income, $240 a year. Think about that. We found out that the number one thing we could do that could change the quality of their life would be going to these villages and drill wells. And so we literally raised millions of dollars because people were generous. And we went and we drilled wells and we started churches all throughout that small country. We then shifted our focus to Uganda uh, with the orphan crisis. The median age at that time was 15, mainly caused by the AIDS crisis, mainly caused by civil war. And so we went in and we partnered with Watoto Church and we gave hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars to try to deal with and alleviate the, 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 the orphan crisis that was taking place in Uganda. We've done this on our community. Uh, we looked down at Southeast Raleigh and we learned that it was a food desert, which basically meant no fresh meat, no fresh produce in a seven mile radius. No store wanted to go into that part of town and open a grocery store. And so here at Hope, we raised the money and we opened a grocery store and now we underwrite it to keep the cost affordable for the residents there. It allows us to do those kinds of things. Last year, Project Classroom. We found out that teachers in Wake County were having to take money out of their own pocket to buy supplies for their classroom. We're like, that can't happen. That doesn't make any sense, right? And so we raised the supplies. We raised the money to meet that need because, see, of your generosity, we were able to do that. Did you know that just over the past few weeks since this crisis hit, that at Hope we've given away over 42 tons of food? And you hear things like that, and from my perspective, I'm like, why wouldn't you want to be involved in that kind of generosity? But if that's not the case, it's probably because there's a couple of things that you don't understand about generosity. One of them we can see in the life of King David. David is the king of Israel. And one day he's walking around his palatial palace and he looks out the window and he sees the tabernacle. It's where they worshiped. And inside the tabernacle was the Ark of the Covenant. And that's where God's presence resided. This is a part of the Old Testament. And David is thinking, here I am walking around my palatial palace and God is still living in a tent, right? And so David is thinking, I am going to build a permanent home. I'm going to build a temple for God. Now, later on, we find out that God says, David, no, you're not going to build the temple. I'm going to let your son Solomon build the temple. But David, being a good father, David thinks, you know what? I'm going to raise all the money. I'm going to get all the supplies here. So when Solomon is ready to build the temple, he'll be good to go. And what's interesting is there's a prayer in 1 Chronicles chapter 29, verse 14. David is praying because he's gone through this massive fundraising campaign. And this is his prayer. He says, but who am I? And who are my people that we should be able to give as generously as this? Then he says this, everything comes from you, and he's talking to God, and we have given you only what comes from your hand. So that's one principle. God owns it all. We only have what God has given us. The second principle comes from a verse over in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 11, where Paul tells us that God gives to every person as he chooses. So the reality is this, if we're stealing from God, it's probably because we don't understand these two principles. We don't understand that everything we have comes from God. We don't understand that God distributes to each of us as he decides. Now here's the problem. If you don't understand that, 
You'll look around life and you'll feel like you've been faithful, you've been good, you've been, you've, been a, you've been a follower of Jesus Christ, but you'll notice that there are other people who seem to have more than what you have. And if you're not careful, there'll be a sense of entitlement and you'll think, you know what, if they have it, I ought to be able to have it. I mean, if they have a beach house, I ought to be able to have a beach house. If they have a golf cart, I ought to be able to have a golf cart. If they have a new car, I ought to be able to have a new car. You know, if they have a cat, I'll be okay with a new car. But the reality is this, you see things that they have that you don't have and you wish you had them and you will begin to do whatever is necessary to even the playing field. And sometimes that may even include robbing God. And so if you miss these simple truths, I'm just gonna tell you, you're never gonna be grateful for what God has for you and you're never gonna have a heart of gratitude. So let me just ask you a question. Are you grateful for all that God has given you? And are you grateful for the life that he has chosen for you? Because I gotta be honest with you, the alternative to being grateful is a life of always seeking, always desiring more, constantly looking for ways that you can get what you feel you're entitled to. And sometimes we've learned we do that by taking what doesn't belong to us. Sometimes we do that by taking what rightfully belongs to others. Sometimes it's by using personal, uh, or using deception that leads to personal gain. And then sometimes, quite frankly, it happens when we embezzle from God. And maybe right now, if you're honest, some of you would have to say, Mike, you know, now that I think about it, I don't have a very grateful heart. Now that I think about it, I do see myself as a victim. Now that I think about it, I, I, I do my, see myself kind of with this sense of entitlement. But you gotta understand the thing about gratitude is you can't just flip a switch one day and automatically make yourself grateful. So how do we cultivate grateful hearts? Well, in the time that we have left this weekend, I wanna talk about three ways that we can do that. And I think it's amazing how applicable it is to what we're going through in our world, our culture right now. And I'm telling you, if you are just willing to try, if you're willing to follow these three principles, I really believe that you can cultivate a heart of gratitude regardless of the circumstances that you find yourself in. Let me give you the first one. We have to learn to be grateful for imperfect gifts. Have you ever received an imperfect gift? Well, we all have, right? Maybe it wasn't the right size, wasn't the right color, it wasn't what we really wanted, but let me tell you something. If you're married, you have a spouse that's an imperfect gift. And I know what some of you are thinking, like, thank, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Somebody's finally seeing it for themselves, right? But the reality is this, they also have an imperfect gift, and it's you, see? And listen, if you have children, they are an imperfect gift. And God has also given them an imperfect gift, that would be you as parents. I mean, your kids may be driving you crazy during this stay-at-home order, but I can promise you this, you're probably no picnic to live with either. Some of you, when you think about it, your job. You're not very grateful for your job. You hate your job. It, it, it's, it's an imperfect gift. And you're thinking, man, if I could just have that person's job, or if I could just be in that position, then I would be grateful. Or if I could just make the level of income that that person is making, then I would be grateful. It's if, 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 if. And there's some reason we have this idea that if we can just have enough good stuff happen to us, and, and if enough things just fall into place, somehow overnight, magically, we will just become grateful. But I'm telling you, it's an illusion. It just doesn't happen that way. So if we wait for perfect gifts, we're never, ever going to be 
grateful. We have to learn to be grateful for imperfect gifts. Here's the second one. We have to learn to be grateful in times of anxiety and frustration. I mean, during this pandemic, have you discovered that there's a direct link between anxiety and gratitude? For example, I told you a few weeks ago about the time when I found a lump in my chest and I thought it was serious, but I didn't do anything about it. And finally I went in to see the doctor and he sent me and I had to have a mammogram. And I went in one day and they gave me the results that it was nothing, that I was healthy, that everything was fine. And I can, I can remember that day. I can remember, it was a beautiful sunny day. I can remember walking out of that doctor's office and it was like I was walking on air. I'm thinking life is good. I'm going to Taco Bell. I'm going to get some burritos. I mean, life is good. But this is what's interesting. Even though I felt that way walking out of the doctor's office, in reality, nothing had changed in my life from the hour earlier before I walked into that doctor's office. I was just as healthy then as I was now. What made the difference? Well, my anxiety reminded me of what I was taking for granted in my life. In other words, it put things in perspective. And this is what's interesting, especially for Americans we will spend most of our lives trying to avoid anxiety. See, that, that explains why during this pandemic we will binge on Netflix, right? We don't wanna think about the things that make us anxious. Am I gonna have a job? Can I pay the bills? Am I gonna get this virus? When are my kids are gonna go back to school? See, it explains why the consumption of alcohol is up 55%. It explains why we overeat. You know, I mean, I think all of us are doing that, but we will, we will do almost anything we can to avoid dealing with the painful aspects of life. But I'll tell you what I'm learning. And you learn things like this as you get older. I'm learning that gratitude often comes in the midst of pain and suffering in our lives, or it doesn't come at all. Because it's something about the pain and the suffering that gives us perspective. A.W. Tozer said this, God whispers to us in our pleasures, but he shouts to us in our pain. There's something about those anxious, stressful times of life, those painful times of life where God has our attention and he can teach us to be grateful for the things that he's given us. Here's the third thing. We need to develop the discipline of noticing. Let me just offer you a suggestion that maybe will help put this pandemic into perspective. When you wake up tomorrow morning and you open your eyes and you realize that God has given you the gift of another day, before you just jump out of bed, tell God thank you. Are you looking to the face of somebody that loves you? See, not only do they love you, they know you, warts and all. You know, Mark Twain says, hey, we're all like the moon. We all have a dark side. They know you. They know your dark side, and they still love you. When you look into their face and realize that, tell God thank you. When you go to pick up a fork or a spoon and your hand does what your brain tells it to do, tell God thank you. If you wake up tomorrow and you realize that you have a job to go back to when this pandemic is over, take a minute and tell God thank you. Or maybe you've lost this job, your job as a result of this pandemic, but you're able to draw unemployment. Tell God, thank you. Hey, listen, if you have toilet paper, tell God, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. 
But my point is simply this. If you will take the time, if you will pause long enough to do it, you will discover that you have a lot more to be grateful for even during this pandemic than you probably realize. And I get it, I'm not trying to be insensitive. I understand that times are scary. I, I understand that the future in so many ways is uncertain. I understand that there's so many unanswered questions, but the good news is this. The good news is that by God's design, we each get to choose how we're gonna respond to this crisis. I mean, we can choose to be angry. We can choose to be bitter. We can choose to see ourselves as victims. We can choose to go on social media and, and be divisive. Or we can be grateful knowing that God has chosen this path for us right now. But understand, how we respond at the end of the day, it's our choice. It's our choice. Now, the commandment this week is, you shall not steal. This would be my advice for you. If you're a thief, maybe it's money. Maybe it's time from your employer. Whatever it is, if you're a thief, what do you do? Well, you, you come clean. And how do you come clean? Well, we've been talking about it all throughout this series. How do we bring our life back into alignment with God's will for our lives? Well, first of all, we confess. In other words, we agree with God that it's wrong. And then we repent. We do that 180 where we decide we're going to do life God's way. We're going to develop a heart of gratitude so that we don't feel like we have to take things from other people to even the playing field. When I was a kid, I, I used to steal. And it wasn't a lot. We didn't have a lot. And, and the person I stole it from, it was part of the hardest part of it. It, it, was, it was my grandmother. I called her Mama. And she was actually poorer than we were. But every once in a while when I would be at her house, I would take maybe a nickel, maybe a quarter. Wasn't much more than that. She didn't have much more than that. And I would, I would go to the store after school when I was maybe in the third grade and, and I would have something to spend. And, and I was making up for the fact that I wasn't grateful for what I did have. Where years went by. And finally, when I was a junior in high school, my, my grandfather passed away. And I was very, very close with my grandmother. I really feel to this day, she was like one of the godliest people I've ever met in my life. So when my grandfather passed away, I started spending every night with my grandmother until I eventually went off to college. I didn't want her to be in the house by herself. I didn't want her to be alone. So I would go there every night and I would spend the night. And one evening I got there and, and I remember it was, it was kind of a summer evening and we were sitting out on the front porch in the rocking chairs that she had there on Driver Avenue. And I said, Mama, and that's what I called her. I said, I gotta tell you something. And she said, what's that? I said, when I was little, I used to steal money out of your purse. And she said, I know. And I'm like, well, how did you know? And she said, well, I didn't have much money, so if there was anything missing, I knew it. And I said, well, why, why didn't you ever say anything? She said, I was just waiting for you to come clean. And I would just say this weekend, God is saying the same thing. He already knows what you're doing. If you're stealing, he already knows it. He's just waiting for you to come clean. He's just waiting for you to confess and repent, and he will forgive you, and he will put you on a new trajectory. And one of the ways that you can help him in that process is by learning to be grateful.
Let's bow our heads and pray. Father, we want to thank you for your faithfulness, even at times in our lives when we're not faithful. And when we're going through times where we don't know answers and we don't have solutions, we don't know what's going to happen tomorrow or next week or next year, we're reminded that you, you are the way maker. You are the miracle worker. You are the promise keeper. And Father, for that, we are grateful. But Father, let me just say this. More than anything, we're grateful that when you look down at this mess that we had made of your creation, that you loved us so much that you sent your only son to this earth to die a martyr's death, to be our savior, to shed his blood, to pay for our sin so that we could be restored back into a relationship with you. And Father, if there are ever those times where we feel like we have nothing to be thankful for, nothing to be grateful for, help us to remember that priceless gift that you've given to us. Father, we don't want to steal. We want to be grateful. So help us to be the people that you've created us to be. And we're going to pray all these things in your son's precious name. Amen.